Hi, this is Rob Paulson, and you are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show, I think we will never stop existing as physical people uh, i think once we end up in all bottles our brains in there and living forever then the world will have changed but uh, we will always enjoy our bodies we will always enjoy being out in nature running doing sports and sitting together with friends exchanging with friends uh, having a meal together and as part of this culture i think the games will always survive here are your hosts jamie green and justin connors Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. And on iTunes and all of the places that you go to get your streaming podcasts and downloads. I don't know where you go. Where do you go, Jamie? What's your podcast go to? I, uh, I use, well, if I'm on my phone, I use Downcast. Nice. And if I'm on my computer, I use the new uh, Google Play Okay. Interface, um, okay. Just through just through Chrome, which I think is it's very nice and user and user friendly. So right now I'm using the official Apple one, and that's not a good that idea. That is a piece <laughs> of crap. Do not use. Well, I mean, if any of our listeners you listen to it, keep on keeping on. You know, yeah. if you want to. No, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but oh yeah, so this week we had a fantastic conversation, and something that's really cool about this is we had someone early on. Uh, send a message through on our Facebook page. And and she, I forget her name, forgive me fan if you're out there. Um, and she was like, you got to do a board game episode. You got to do it. And yeah. Jamie delivered. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's an unusual, I don't want to say unusual, but it's not the, it's not a usual uh, request. You know, it's, we've had a lot of different kinds of people on and we've not had somebody in the world um, of board gaming. And that's, it's a huge thing. Um, and I know even just on Geek Dad, it's a huge thing, you know, gamers and, and tabletop and board games and things like that. So that really, I don't know why I hadn't thought about it until we got that message. Um, so yes, Nameless Fan, I'm sorry, we're terrible, <laughs> terrible podcast hosts. I probably um, should have went back and found who it was. You probably that. still can yeah. as we're talking. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I thought about it and there's a several people that are still on my list so we might still have some future episodes uh around board games but uh if you've been playing game the new games you know beyond like risk and monopoly um if you've been playing you, you know so many different kinds of names for it you know the german style or um I'm blanking on the names now because I know there's a lot of them. But um, you know the the tabletop games that are in vogue now. Um, Reiner Knizia sort of is one of those names that you you will come across again and again and again. He has, um, by his estimation, designed some 600 plus games, um, which is kind of astounding. Like it's kind of like I can't wrap my head around that. Um, and he, he says this when we talk to him, he says like that includes 
um, games that are like like translations and different regionalizations. So they're not all completely unique individual games. But still, I mean, we're talking about several hundred unique games that he's come up with, which is still kind of crazy since I haven't come up with one. I was just about to say that. Imagine (laughs) if they were like, yeah, think of a game and come back to us. We're going to sell it, so make sure it's good. I would come back with nothing. (laughs) Well, yeah, and you think, you know, you look at Kickstarter, you know, and there's an entire section on Kickstarter for board games, and there are a lot of them, and, you know, not to keep plugging Geek Geek Dad because we don't need to. We love them. Um, We cover a lot of the Kickstarter games that are coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot, there are a lot of games that are just clearly not thought through, you know, and like the fans or people who have an idea and they say, this would make a great game and they throw it together and it might have some great art, but they haven't really thought through gameplay or mechanics or how it would play with two versus five players, that kind of thing. And it goes on to Kickstarter and it, clearly just gets torn apart you know and it just it doesn't get funded and people call it you know it's it's not a playable game (laughs) and so you think about how hard it is clearly for somebody to come up with a workable design that makes it for an enjoyable game and then along comes somebody like Reiner Knizia who just says oh I'll come up with 300 games you know it's just like it's, it's unreal to me i haven't even i haven't even had 300 original ideas that I, I know right <laughs> let alone games so it's fascinating to get as we talked about his workflow and you know just how he creates and how he comes up with the different uh, aspects of the stories and it's just a fun it's a fun chat so i hope you guys really enjoy it um we're gonna play it for you right now so come on back after and enjoy Well, first of all, actually, I should say congratulations on the nominations that just came out yesterday. Thank you. Yes, you never know what happened, so um, it is as much a surprise to you as it is for, to me. <laughs> uh, do you still get excited, or did you ever, about awards? I get excited about winning awards. I don't get excited about uh, the, the running up to the awards because uh, I cannot influence them. So then I'd rather like to be excited about things I can influence, and that is new designs. Yeah. But uh, awards are nice. Awards uh, help essentially games to reach people because uh, people become aware of uh, the games. And uh, therefore, that excites me because it opens the door to many more people. Yeah. Um, what's a kind of astonishing, and I'm sure you're asked about this in almost every interview you do, so I apologize, but um, you've designed over 600 games, published games. Is that is that accurate? Uh, it's not accurate, no, because the counting is very difficult, uh, but it is about 600. You see, it depends how you count, because I have a game which is called Battle Line, you may be aware right. of in America, and by GMT Games, and the same game essentially is published in Europe as Schottentotten. So it's uh, the, uh, it's uh, it's a it's a play on uh, on Hottentots, but for the Scottish people, mm-hmm. a very nice and pleasant play. Uh, and I consider it's the same game, but other people count it as a different game. So uh, is a game in a magazine a game, or is it not a really published game? Uh, I have an archive which uh, contains one sample of each edition in each language ever published in the world and these are over 2000 boxes oh my god but it's not 2000 <laughs> games because of course for example the lord of the rings was published in 20 languages uh, and so this is still only one game but it's about 600 
either way, I mean, that's still several hundred very unique games. And that's just incredibly hard for me to wrap my head around because it's it's a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, how is something like that even possible inside of one career from one person? Well, if you look at the numbers, then they are big numbers. On the other hand, uh, it's a whole life behind it. And uh, Steve Jobs built Apple in his lifetime, in his short lifetime, unfortunately. And uh, so if you look at all the big companies and all the big achievements, even Ford company was built by one person, essentially. Uh, and so I think people can achieve a lot in their lifetime if they put their effort, their energy, their enthusiasm behind it. And, you know, a few dozen every year or one or two dozen every year. And uh, if you put a lifetime behind it, you can easily come out 600 games. Yeah. So before you came to board games, you earned a Ph.D. in mathematics and worked for a financial company. So what led to the switch over to game design? I have always loved playing games, and that goes back to my earliest childhood uh, before I became a mathematician, certainly before I came, became a banker. I just never thought that that would be becoming my profession and my life, uh, because how can you assume that you can do something like this? You are trying to get right. a proper, decent job. And so <laughs> as I got older and I saw the different careers and I enjoyed these different careers, um, I got more and more brave and saying, okay, I have established myself, I have some savings, I had some successes, of course, uh, as a hobby designer. And so the risk was actually not too big. It was just simply the decision, I have only one life and uh, I really want to do what is closest to my heart. And even so, um, being in the banking side, uh, I enjoyed that a lot. And I got out before the bankers got such a bad reputation. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but nevertheless, uh, if you finance houses uh, and mortgages for people, they don't like the mortgages, they like the house. But if you present games uh, to people, they really love the games. They love the products themselves and you can bring them a lot of enjoyment. And I think that's the most rewarding about what I currently do. How, how much did that that academic training, that training in math and with numbers, how much did that, do you still use that um, that, that skill set in, in game design? Well, clearly I use that skill set, but it's not really an aware um, application of that. If you look at different designers of games or more generally at different artists, each artist has the, his own or her own handwriting. And this is mainly influenced through their personality, through their character and through their background. So with this respect, clearly being a scientist, having scientific, scientific mind uh, supports me in, in creating games. And it, uh, of course, mathematics is about building models. And so I'm trying to reduce situations I enjoy from life, which I want to pack into a game, trying to reduce them to the minimum and see what are the characteristics and really bring them to the foreground in the game. But it's in the end, game design is not about mathematics and game design is not about uh, any particular strengths. Uh, game design is about bringing fun to people and creating uh, the enjoyment for the people in 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 the act of playing and so I believe one has to be very careful in very deliberately applying strengths uh, 
which one has to mm -hmm. a certain uh, uh, artistic field. I mean, there is a nice saying I like to quote from a um, uh, Austrian um, psychologist who says, uh, be careful with your strengths, because if all that is, all what you have is a hammer, then which is your strengths, then soon everything in the world will look like a nail. Mm -hmm. And so that means be careful not to turn your strengths into a very narrowing weakness. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned something there, though, that, you know, many of your games are known for stripping things down to the, to the bare essentials and focusing on, you know, maybe one mechanic or one mm -hmm. one um, type of gameplay or, or one one skill, you know, within a, within a player. Um, so heavy theming is not really uh, a feature of, of many of your games. They have themes, but I wouldn't say that they're, you know, like what a lot of gamers say, they're not dripping with theme. Um, when you're designing a new game, at what point do you attach a theme to the gameplay that you've come up with? Very often, the theme is actually the starting point of mm -hmm. the design. Uh, but there are two ways of implementing a theme into a game. One way is to really try to kind of... Uh, model every individual thematic aspect into a rule in the game, which means you then have lots of components, you have lots of rules, you have lots of little details, and sometimes lots of administration in the game to keep this all going. And a lot of people, when they look at such a game, say, oh, it's very thematic because all the little details here, and look at this and look at that. That is certainly not my approach. My approach is more to... to to look at the emotions behind the theme, to look at the, so to speak, the essential ingredients of a theme and try to pack this into, into a game. This, this sounds very abstract now um, while we're talking about theme. Uh, look at, um, at, if you make a trend setting game, then you can have lots of cards and say, look, a new trend arises and you earn 50 pounds or dollars. And uh, look, suddenly this one has gone out of fashion and you can have lots of these events and lots of little reasons behind it in text. I don't believe that that is really thematic. Uh, my trend setting game would much more look like um, I'm trying to influence something and wildly play, suddenly things on the board become more important. Therefore, the trend actually happens as a part of the play uh, and is, so to speak, much more ingrained in the game mechanism rather than being put on top with lots of little details. It's more the feeling, it's more the emotion that make my theme rather than the lots of details. Yeah. Uh, you're, I mean... Going along with that, though, I mean, your games still have an incredibly diverse um, array of styles and mechanics. I mean, with hundreds of games, that's kind of going to happen by default. Um, do you have like, a favorite or a preferred mechanic when you design? Like, is there one that you usually start with and then it, it sort of comes out from there? Or do you do you intentionally decide when you when you think about a new idea that, OK, this is going to be a different mechanic from what I've done before? Yeah, certainly the latter. I mean... As a, as a game designer, as an artist, you always have the ambition to create something new. So you're not trying to copy yourself and you're also not trying to copy somebody else, of course. Uh, so I have learned, which sounds trivial, but in, in a way it's quite a big insight for me um, that I have to deliberately try to start designing at different uh, entry points. If I have a new entry point, something new I start with, be it a new book or character license, 
high-speed new uh, technology, which is now affordable, feasible, uh, makeable, uh, or whatever it is, or a new type of mechanics, then uh, if I start out with this, I actually have the best chances to come up with something innovative. Whereas if you take a scientific approach and say, okay, this is my tick list of 20 steps I have to go, then you, you will inadvertently and, and quite logically always trample along the same path, and then you must not be surprised to come out uh, always at the same end. Or what people say, madness is to try the same approach and hope for uh, different outcomes. Yes. Right. What I like in a game is the same as what I like in life. I have lots of choices. Life is great. And uh, there is never enough time to do all the good things and all the exciting things. And that's what I expect from a good game. I want to sit there and I want to have so many choices, so many opportunities. Oh, I want to do this. And I hope he doesn't do this before I and she is trying <laughs> to do this. So and it's it's this this urgency you have there of lots of good things, which for me makes a good game. So uh, if... if a good example, I think, is, is through the desert, because uh, right. uh, if you play this game, you want to be in all ends and do everything at the same time, but you have only got two placements, and then you have to take, which ones do I take now, and I hope that I can do the other ones later, and then I want to do even more. That's what I expect mm -hmm. from a good game, but that's more a, a general mm -hmm. principle. This is not really a, a, a mechanism which would be far too narrow to approach do you still play for fun? This is uh, this is an interesting question. <laughs> I need to I need to give a differentiated answer on this one. We essentially play every day because game design is uh, is playing games. This is the the the, the lifeblood. It doesn't matter how much experience you have. Uh, you cannot sit down with your experience and just develop things on the piece of paper. You need to experience it. You need to be part of the game. So yes, we play every day, but essentially my most favorite games are always the ones in uh, in, in the current design development stage. And so I've just been preparing tonight's test. And so these are always my favorite games. And therefore it is great fun to play these and a great enjoyment to see how these games develop and to discuss them and to see, uh, and sometimes the desperation that they don't go where you want them to go. Uh, so it is fun. Do I just simply get a game out of the shelf, which has already been published, my own one or somebody else's, and just sit there and play it for fun as one would expect? Very rarely. <laughs> do you regret the fact that you can't do that or are you just having so much fun designing that it doesn't matter? I, I could do that, but it, it, there is always the higher priority. Why should I play one of these, which I've already done or which I know? Yeah. I'd rather like to get on with the song, which really excites me, and that's the the new games. Yeah. Of course, there is a well, there is an upside and a downside to it, as to everything in life. Uh, the the upside is that I do not see many of the solutions other designers have worked out. And, you know, once you, you, your brain knows a solution, it is very hard to think of your own independent solution because, of course, that's how you do it. Why should I think of anything else? Mm -hmm. But if you don't know how to do it, then it's much easier to come up with your own, hopefully innovative solution. The downside is you need to know the market because you need to understand what trends there are and where the, the players are going and where the, the public is going with respect to their interest. And also, of course, you need to be careful not to 
copy inadvertently copy something or get too close to design which has been published by somebody else right but that's my playtesters around me who do actually play a lot for fun and go to Essen and just play all the games there and so they would point out to me watch out there you are too close and they sometimes actually bring new games and say this is one we need to play and then we will actually sit there and play but that's less fun for me because then I sit there and analyze this game and say, what has he done and how would I do it differently and so on. So yeah, you're that's, finding the flaw. <laughs> yeah, that's the least relaxing part in a way. But uh, yeah, so there is always upsides and downsides to, to playing. But uh, as long as people play, that's okay. Yeah. In your opinion, though, generally speaking, not just limited to your games, but generally speaking, what makes a game worth playing and what separates the good games from the great games? For me, it is essentially the fun of playing, the, uh, uh, so to speak, to get into the zone, to forget the world, to go into this new world and, and, and essentially just take on a new role and, and, and play. For me, it is very important the other players in the game. Uh, so for me, essentially, the game is, is really a platform so that I can let my personality unfold, that I can try things out and that I can enjoy myself on this stage with other people. And therefore, if other, if, if different people play with me, the game will be different. The game is not absolute. The game, the good game, I think, lives from the interaction with other people and every individual will make the game different. Of course, I also expect from a game that it's relevant. And I think that's particularly important for game designers. Uh, the, the, Games are a mirror of our times, and the times are changing. People are interested in different things, and therefore, I think Hemingway said, in order to write, you need to live. And I think also in order to design games, you need to live. You need to keep your eyes open what interests people and what really, when they go in front of uh, a, a shelf in the, in the stores uh, of games, what will jump out to them, what, what speaks to them what I call what is relevant in our time. And I think that's a very important quality criteria for me. Uh, I don't want to play an old-fashioned, old classic game. Uh, I will do that as well. But for the consumer, it's more how does it suit my life? How does it reflect my life? So it's short, quick entry points, high dynamics, uh, lots of fun, uh, replayability, uh, all of this. And then in a theme or a world which, which I like, which is relevant and stimulating for me. Yeah. So what is it about games that makes them, though, so important? I mean, would you say that game playing, not necessarily just limited to, to board games or tabletop, but it, is the playing of games essential to human culture? I mean, never ask a barber if you need a haircut. <laughs> so it, it, clearly, I would say that the games are very important. But I want to differentiate this a little bit. Uh, you see, it depends what you call playing. If mm -hmm. you look at the, the, the little kids, the babies, uh, all they do is play around with things and learn the world. This is an unstructured play, and I'm not sure if you can compare it with playing. So if, if, you, if you have such a wide definition of playing, that means trying things out for no real purpose, for no commercial or whatever sense, just to, to enjoy what you're dealing with, then I think playing is absolutely essential. It is a part of, of, of mankind, part of life, which you just simply cannot uh, take away from it. Uh, if we are going 
much more narrow and say we have these structured games in boxes or on the screen which follow specific rules um, then I mean I don't think the world would collapse if we didn't, if we hadn't got the games but I think people would very very quickly invent these games as well because if you roll dice or if you draw cards or whatever you do if you have a trivia game uh, it is it is inherently when people come together that they find a way of entertainment sports or games yes I mean where is the limit where is the differentiation where is the borderline between a little sports game you play on the table and a bigger sports game you play on the on, on the grass yes so and again can you live without sports of course you can but people would immediately invent reinvent the games and do them again because it's it's what we like to do we like to have fun and so if you look at games then i think yes games are a very important part of our culture and they compete with people traveling people watching television if you want or going to the movies or uh, doing sports and games bring people together and games live from bringing people together either physically around a table with a physical social game or also today of course on the network and the world is much more digital these days and that's part of the relevance again so the digital digital games have a high relevance today how does that relationship to play change as we grow up or do you take that into account when you design a game for different age groups There is, there is a, of course, a big impact on age for the young, for the right. younger players. Uh, I and my group, we, we don't design games below three years. Mm -hmm. You get very different challenges with uh, things that can be swallowed and uh, you can injure yourself. Uh, and you get beyond this point from three years onwards. <laughs> and a lot of legislation is there as well. So <laughs> right. I don't think we have competence on this side. But we start <laughs> from three years onwards. And um, I've just got on the table this week a SpongeBob game um, with Ravensburger, which is for very young uh, kids. And of course, then you need to really take into account uh, the world of the kids, the experience of the kids, the abilities of the kids, see if it is a pure kids game which, which kids from the age three, four, five play amongst each other, or if you go a little bit into a family game side where you want to allow young kids to play but then need to have a mechanism or some interest so that the, the parents or the, the, the older players are not just playing for the sake of being a part for the small kid but have their own enjoyment in it uh, without being too much at an advantage because they're older and more experienced and there are ways to do this uh, so when you look at younger players then this is a very very big uh, consideration i think once you step over the age of 10 or 12 uh, it becomes much more relative um, because the ability between a 12 year old a 50 year old a 90 year old or whatever you want to say is not so different they might use different media and mm -hmm. electronics and so on but with respect to the capability of playing and, and and engaging in games the differentiation is not so big then it's much more which experience does this group have so do i design for the casual games market, irrespective of age, or do I design for the hobby market, the gamers, the insiders? And that, of course, this is a very big differentiation, but must let, must let, uh, much less uh, influenced by age. Yeah. One of the things that, um, I don't know if it's a, it's not really a recent trend and it, it's, 
it's among the hobby games, those games like you mentioned for the insiders, is that there's this trend to get more and more complex. I and mean, <laughs> when we were talking about theme, you said, you know, there are some games that just every little bit is just integrally tied to the theme. But uh, I mean, along with that, playtime is getting longer. The rule books are getting longer and more overwhelming. <laughs> Do you think that there's a you know a sweet spot is there an ideal length for for what a game should be i mean do you you personally enjoy like these very long games that could last for four or five hours no i don't have the time to play these very long games and no i don't think there's a sweet spot in an ideal play length yeah. it very much depends on the players on the group on the target group um, Yes, there is a tendency within the hobby market that uh, games become more complex, that particularly through Kickstarter and their specific sort of crowdfunding, their specific uh, demand for having very attractive propositions, lots of miniatures in there, lots mm -hmm. of components in there. Uh, but then, of course, do people see the rules and how they play? No, so they get sometimes neglected. Uh, it has all its ups and downs. Uh, it is very much the target group. I see actually a tendency very much going the different direction of games becoming simpler with mm -hmm. a really easy access, very short rules. If the rules are longer than a page, people don't want to read them. Nobody likes reading rules uh, or very, very few. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't. Uh, and uh, you want to play. If yeah. I want to play, I don't want to sit there and, and, right. and puzzle over the rules. Uh, and I think once the mobile phone games became a real hype and became really important this was a real learning exercise of simplicity how can i on a very mm -hmm. small screen with essentially no rules explanation possible create exciting uh, engaging games where people want to come back to over and over again and learning this shows how simple uh, you can actually make games and really have lots of fun. Complexity is certainly not a measure mm -hmm. uh, of the mm -hmm. quality uh, and the fun part of the game. Yeah. Are games an art or a business? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think games are an art form and they're a hobby and leisure form uh, and they're part of culture. Uh, clearly, when you want to serve these customers of this group, there is also a business aspect to it. But I think if you start, uh, if, you, if, you, if you start at the outset with a business in mind, I think you will have big difficulties as, as a designer to really be successful because your heart needs to be there. Your business will follow, but the heart will not if, if, you, if it's not there already. Yeah. So you mentioned the digital and mobile gaming, and it seems like your name is all over the App Store now. Do you personally like the experience of playing games in a digital environment? Surprisingly enough, yes. I always thought that for me, the personal aspect of sitting together with other people is is vital and mm -hmm. and essentially fundamental. I also see that I get tempted into uh, into nice uh, mobile games. Uh, I prefer playing on the tablets rather than on the, on the phones because mm -hmm. the screen is nicer and, and bigger and, and just gives a little bit more opportunities. There are very nice challenges there and it's it's so easy today just to open a game and have a five minutes look around, particularly because the yeah, access is so easy and just to see what is the hype all about of this and the hype all about of this. Sometimes I don't understand why the hype is there. Sometimes I can clearly see it. Sometimes I envy mm -hmm. the designs. Uh, and it's just a, a, an enormously rich uh, 
world of games out there. I think the big challenge is with, with anyone can say, the millions of, of offers of games, yeah, most of them for free. The big challenge is how to find the good ones. And then also, if you design your own games, how to actually stand out from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that digital play will ever replace the physical experience of gaming, physical of like tabletop gaming with other people? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think we will never stop existing as physical people. Uh, I think once we end up in all bottles, our brains in there and living forever, then the world will have changed. But uh, we will always enjoy our bodies. We will always enjoy being out in nature, running, doing sports and sitting together with friends, exchanging with friends, uh, having a meal together. And as part of this culture, I think the games will always survive. Uh, I know we're running up out of time with you. I just have a couple questions I, I really wanted to get mm-hmm. to, though. Um, what do you think? You talked about, you know, artists have signatures and game designers have signatures, too. So what do you think your signature is? What do you think of when you think of a Reiner Knizzi game? I think it is the more scientific approach of reducing games to their principles with a very few rules trying to make a deep gameplay. So I am a scientist with few general rules rather than a storyteller who generates lots of redundancy with enormously rich rules making a rich picture of the world. I make a very um, reduced picture of the world and hope that that will allow the people to come to the forefront. Yeah. Are there any barriers left to gaming? What's the next horizon for tabletop? I don't think I can answer this. I I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody knows. Uh, it is driven by a lot of aspects which we cannot foresee. I think technology influences our whole world and as games are a part of our world uh, there will be a big influence from from new developments as we have seen over the last uh, decades yes with all the electronic games and all the mobile games Uh, the mobile games are an enormously big aspect of gaming but they are because they're an enormously big aspect of our lives. I mean, today, uh, if you sit in any plane, train or wherever, uh, in any dentist's waiting room, it doesn't matter where you are. <laughs> the typical thing of people is no longer they sit around and talk. They sit and stare into their hand where they have this <laughs> thing. Yes? And uh, so who knows? And the Internet has changed our world fundamentally. Yes? So who knows? What is coming? The games will be will be following in this way, uh, and it is it is really very difficult to forecast. Partially, it is also luck. Uh, what I see over and over again is when a game is very successful, then suddenly it starts a new trend and has a lot of followers. It uh, when Trivial Pursuit became uh, very good or um, who wants to be a millionaire, then there were lots of games around this. Uh, when uh, Blockus and my game Ingenious became very successful, suddenly it started a big trend, I believe, of abstract games. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it is always the lucky one and what makes something successful is sometimes a very uh, 
accumulation of luck. And then this luck part then influences the rest of the world and really decides on a completely new direction where the whole industry runs. Yeah. This has been just fascinating. Um, mm. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to everybody. Um, I, I love your games. I'm staring at a couple of them right now here on my shelf. Um, and uh, it's just, it's it's been an amazing conversation. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for your interest. And you know, a good interview is always made by good questions. <laughs> oh, I hope this qualifies. I'm not sure. You didn't actually say that. <laughs> I, I, no, I wanted to implicitly say that. And, uh, very, very much enjoyed uh, the conversation. I enjoyed uh, the depth of the conversation, the interesting aspects we had the time to cover. So thank you very much for this opportunity. And I hope Apart from the game, also, uh, this uh, interview will bring uh, lots of enjoyment to the people. Oh, I absolutely will. All right, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. And we are rolling right along. We are far into our app. What are we like? Is this number 74, 75? 73. 73. Oh, close. You're close, but still kind of, again, you know, we're at the top of the show, we were talking about having our minds blown with the number of games mm-hmm. that Kinizia has has uh, designed. I'm kind of blown away that we've come up with 73 episodes and people are still listening. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's been more than 73 because right. that doesn't count the uh, extra unplugged episodes, <laughs> which I think we've done nine of. So it's technically like 82. Right, exactly. No, it's, and it's been a fun ride, and we're we're trucking along, and we're gonna keep doing it because we keep love on it. Trucking. We're having fun. We are having fun. So, um, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have an episode idea, like you said, this episode today was a result of somebody saying, "Hey, you guys should you guys should do this, you know, do board games." If you have something like that, let us know. We'd love to we'd love to uh, get something together for you. Jamie's the master booker, so. I mean, yeah, I've got a I've got a very long list of potential guests that I'm trying to get, mm-hmm. um, and, but it's the, there's no end to that list. I just keep adding to it as I think of people, or as I read about people, right. or if I hear about somebody. So if you guys have somebody, either you know somebody specific, like hey, I love this person, see, and try to get them, or like this episode, I love board games. Can you get somebody to talk about that? Right. You know, or a topic, or if your uncle or great uncle happens to be Patrick Stewart, and you want you want to hook us up, you can yeah, you're more than welcome. Absolutely. That is the only time that we'll accept, you know, my relative is kind of cool. You know, yeah. Most of the time that does not end well. But if your relative is Patrick Stewart or Ian McKellen, yes. why don't you come talk to us? If you've got Gandalf or Picard, you're in. <laughs> All right, guys, if you want to get in touch with us, find us on Twitter at the GBP podcast, Facebook.com slash the GBP podcast. I am at 140 Justin C on Twitter. And Jamie. I am at I am at the Roarbots. I, uh, some week I'm hoping you're going to go the Roarbots. You want me to do that? I could do that. <laughs> I'm not not today. Though. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.